setting up a covenant, and it says in Daniel with the many. I believe that covenant is going to be between the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac. Anybody remember who Ishmael was? Uh, he's, yeah, a brother of Isaac. But he was, remember, he was Abraham's firstborn. Um, God had told him that he would have a son, and he lost, well, he got impatient, and his wife said, well, take my handmaiden, and he did, and Ishmael was born. God says, nope, that's not it. The son will be through uh, your wife, and so that was Isaac. So Isaac becomes, if you will, the father of the Israel. Actually, he's, he's the father of Judah, who becomes Israel. And Ishmael is basically the father of, if you want, Islam, or the Muslim nations. Okay. So this man is going to establish a covenant, I think, between these groups. And the reason I, I say that is number of several reasons. Um, first of all, when you read Daniel, this and Daniel, you read Matthew as well, what you find is this he, this man, is going to um, end sacrifice and offering, and he's going to, too, set up an image. And that image is in the temple. So if that's going to happen, then that says, well, there has to be a temple. Okay. So that would say that beginning this, this covenant, that what's going to happen there is that's going to allow the Jews to build the temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Now, an interesting thing about that, if you look at a map of Jerusalem, which I happen to have one, but I didn't make a copy of um, if you look at the Temple Mount, if this is the Temple Mount, that other pen go somewhere? That black one? Yeah, it doesn't work either. This one's not working very well. Anyway, look at the Temple Mount. There are those two um, Islamic shrines on the Temple Mount. One is the Dome of the Rock, which sits like here. And one is the mosque, uh, Ashi, whatever, however they pronounce it, okay. So there's a mosque here and a mosque here. Solomon's temple is there. So here's Solomon's old temple. Here's the Dome of the Rock. Here's the other mosque. And then that's the wall going around the temple. Western wall. Right there. Okay. Uh, if you turn to Revelation chapter 11, it's a real interesting verse. Revelation chapter 11. We're going to look at verse, primarily verse 2, but verse 1 to get context. Revelation chapter 11, beginning of verse 1. It says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God, 
and the altar and the court, the worshipers there. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given over to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Okay. So what that verse is saying is what? If I were to measure the temple area, and he says, exclude the courtyard. Well, this is the courtyard, all this area outside the temple. So where the Dome of the Rock is and where the other mosque is, that would be sitting in the courtyard, and that has been given over to the Gentiles for what? 42 months. Three and a half years. So as far as building the temple, the temple can be built right where Solomon had put it and not infringe on these other two mosques or the other two shrines from Islam. So it's a very doable thing. You know, all you got to do is make Islam and Israel like each other. <laughs> Piece of cake, right? <laughs> okay. Anyway, so a temple is, I, I firmly believe, the temple will be built Beginning of the seven-year period, the temple is going to be built. The Jews are going to institute their sacrifices and offerings that are pres prescribed according to the law. And then it says in that passage in Daniel that in the middle of that period of time, he's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering. He's going to set up an image in the wing of the temple and so a big change takes place here, and now we have 42 months, 1,260 days, time, times, and a half, or three and a half years left to the end. Okay, does that make sense so far? Okay. Remember, when we, when we looked at scriptures last time, we looked at a scripture in, in um, 2 Thessalonians, it was 2 Thessalonians, Two and verse three. And remember, the, the Thessalonians were concerned that they had missed the, the day of the Lord. They had missed the coming of Christ. And Paul is telling them, no, you haven't. And the reason is that the day of the Lord will not occur until, and he gave two markers. One was the apostasy must occur. Two, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. That man of lawlessness is being revealed, I believe, is right here, right in the middle. When Satan is going to empower him, to um, indwell him, probably, and he's going to change from the person he was here to the person he's going to be for the next three and a half years. Okay. So he's going to set himself up to be God. He's going to set himself up in the temple. And that's kind of where we ended up last time. Okay. So, with that in mind, any questions? That kind of makes sense. So we're looking at this last three and a half years. And we talked about that as well last time. There's going to be basically several things happening in that period of time. So in this last three and one half years,
first of all. Um, Satan is cast Satan is cast out of heaven. Remember we did that last, looked at that last time? Um, there's a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the, de- the devil and his angels. Satan lost, and he's kicked out of heaven. Okay. And why is that unique? Where is the devil now? Where is Satan now? Both. Yeah, he has access. Remember that passage in Job and other places. So Satan right now is moving back and forth between heaven and earth, but there's going to be a time when that access to heaven is going to be denied. So that's the first thing that's going to happen. Saints going to be cast out of heaven. I think that's right before this three and a half year period begins. Okay. Second thing, because Satan is cast out of heaven, we have the wrath of Satan. He knows his time is short and he's going to persecute whoever he can that calls in the name of God. We'll look at that in a second. Third thing going on is the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of God. This is is where the whole day of the Lord comes in. So all of the judgments that are outlined in the book of Revelation, they, know they aren't necessarily in sequential order. Nonetheless, they constitute this day of the Lord. They constitute the pouring out the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of God. Okay. The wrath of God is directed at who? Unbelievers, yep. So basically, the, the key here is the book of life. If you're not written in the book of life, the wrath of God is upon you. If you are written in the book of life, the wrath of Satan is on you. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. It says in Revelation that he will wage war with the Satans. If you look in Revelation 12, 17, it says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Okay, so you can ask the question, who are those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus? That can only be what we call saints, Christians, believing Jews, anybody who has accepted Christ as our Savior follow this, fall into this category. Uh, Look at Revelation 9. Revelation 9, we're going to look, or 6, I'm sorry. Revelation 6, verse 9 through 11. Revelation 9, Revelation 6, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. 
they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Okay, so the souls of these under the altar are martyrs. Yeah. People have been slain because of the word of God. Slain through probably through all time. Okay. He goes on to say, Then each of them was, um, I'm sorry, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who are killed to be killed as they have been was completed. So this verse is basically saying there's some souls under the altar and they are waiting until the total number of martyrs is done. And those are probably going to be people killed during the last three and a half years uh, by the beast. Okay, other thing involved here is the nation of Israel. So you basically have Gentiles and Israel and Gentiles. Gentiles are no book. Book. Israelites. Turns out there's a book of life for the Israelites as well. Okay. Uh, let's, go to, let's go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Um, in Thessalonians, it talks about the man of Lazarus is being restrained, being held back. And eventually he's going to be revealed. So something is holding him back. And when that something is removed, then he will become the evil person of the last four and a half years. Okay. Some people have said it's the Holy Spirit. Some people say it's the church. There's a variety of, of of explanations as to what is holding him back. I think here in Daniel 12, we see the reason he's being held back. Okay. Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will rise. There will be a time of distress such as not happen from the beginning of nations until then. So commencing with this Daniel rising or standing up, or Michael's rising or standing up, is the commencement of a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of time. A time of wrath of God, a time of wrath of Satan. Both those things going on at once. So I believe it's Michael who's preventing this one from being revealed. Okay. Anyway, moving along, that's, that's something just to think about. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. So there's a promise here. If you're written in the book, 
and you're of the nation of Israel, you will be delivered. Delivered from what? Delivered from the wrath. Okay. We'll look at that in a little bit. Um, if you jump down to verse 6, well, if you read on with it, read on that, it says, uh, multitudes sleep in the dust of the earth, will await some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So there you see the two groups. One name written in the book of life, you might say in our terms, saved, walking by faith. The other, not. Okay. Remember, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's no difference as far as how people get saved. A person in the Old Testament is saved by what? Faith. Faith was credited, or righteousness was credited to him by faith. Faith in what? Faith in God. Okay. We didn't have Jesus. Our faith is in the Lord, Jesus, and our faith is credited to us as righteousness. We receive his righteousness. The Old Testament saints likewise received his righteousness. Remember when Abraham offered Isaac on the altar? It, was, it said, your faith is credited to you as righteousness. Okay. Uh, verse 6. One, um, yep. Okay. One of them, there's some, some angels standing there, so you've got to realize what's going on here. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? Astonishing things are what? What was it said before? A time of distress. Okay. If you go down, just kind of jump down to the latter part of verse 7, it will be for a time, times, and a half time. Three and a half years. So they're giving a timeline here of how long it's going to take for before these distressful things are accomplished. And if you look down at verse 10, many will be purified and made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. If you remember last time, we looked at those who are, who are receiving, if you will, the brunt of God's wrath. And what was their reaction to God's wrath in their lives. They ref- What's that? Yeah, they refused to repent. Regardless of what they did, they didn't repent of their evil acts. So this, this is saying what? The wicked will continue to be wicked. They're not going to change. Okay. That's why that passage in Hebrews says, now is the day of salvation. Uh, from the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be, and this is an interesting thing, 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. Okay. So if we think about our 1,260 days, this is plus 30. This is plus another 40 under that, right? 75, is that right? My math's right. So there's 30 days added in here and, and 75 days added in there, and we'll come back to that a little later. Okay. But, okay. Question so far, making sense? More or less? Okay. 
Let's go back to Revelation 12 again. And we looked at this verse previously. Revelation 12, Revelation 13 are kind of two key chapters in the book of Revelation as far as looking at this last three and a half year period. So Revelation 12. And I don't want to read the whole thing because it's rather long, but if you remember, we looked at this a while ago, and it involves several players. One, a dragon. One, a woman. Clothed with the sun. And she's about to give birth. And she has 12 stars. So if you look through the, the passage, the woman is basically Israel, personified. So jump down to verse 5. It says, she gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. So her son can only be Jesus, because he's the only one who fits that description. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Again, that further identifies as Jesus. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. If you jump down to verse 13 of that same passage, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for time, times, and a half time. Out of the serpent's reach. So remember back there in Daniel, it said those whose names are written in the book of life would be would be delivered. And I believe this is a deliverance. God is going to take them and place them in a place where they are protected, number one, from the wrath of God, and number two, from the wrath of Satan. So this is a, you might say, this is probably, I'm guessing, the remnant of Israel. And they're going to be protected. for three and a half years. There's another group that's this meshing. If you, if you go to Roman, Revelation 7, and we're going to look at verse 3 through 8. Revelation 7, 3 through 8. And this is... Uh, in the period of the, the judgments. And it's, it says, Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. 
Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. The reason I'm doing this is because everybody talks about the 144,000. Okay. Joe's Witnesses thinks it's them. Um, but it says here, from all the, from all the tribes of Israel. Okay. So these 144,000 are from the tribes of Israel. So we have a group of 144,000, and it lists out the tribes. Okay. 12,000 from each. It's interesting, if you go back to Genesis and look at the list of, of um, Jacob's sons, um, one is missing, which is, I wrote down, where is he? Dan. Dan's not in the list in Revelation, but substitute for him is Manasseh. Was Manasseh one of Jacob's sons? He was a grandson. Yeah, he was, he was Joseph's sons. Jacob, um, basically you might say, adopted him, said he is mine. So, but nonetheless, that's a little change there. Okay. Go to Revelation 14. So a couple chapters on. We're going to look at verse 1 through 5. Probably just 1 and 5. I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So 144,000 here, and the 144,000 there. It's the same group. Okay. Make sense? All right. Um, jump down to verse 3. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits. To God and the Lamb, no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So this group of 144,000, what's their job? What's it say here? They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So basically there's, a, there's an entourage of the Lamb. They were chosen for that very purpose. This 144,000 this group that's being um, protected are not the same. So we have, we have basically three groups of, of, of the nation of Israel. We have the 144,000. We have the remnant. And we have everyone else. Make sense? Okay. Okay. Moving on. During this uh, three and a half year period,
what's called the rapture of the church will occur. Or in Thessalonians, it says, are being caught up to meet the Lord. So if you turn to, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, And we're going to read beginning at verse 13 through verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Remember, the, the Thessalonians were concerned about several things. Number one, they thought they'd missed the day of the Lord. Uh, Second Thessalonians comes along and, and Paul assures them they didn't. Uh, the concern here is that those who have fallen asleep in Christ, what happens to them? We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are alive, or still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So this rapture of the church is in conjunction with coming of Lord or the return of Jesus. For the Lord himself come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will be rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with them forever. Okay. So what's going to happen here is the dead in Christ and the live in Christ. Dead go first, live go second. They're going to be caught up and meet Jesus in the air. Make sense? Okay, go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at 51 through 54. If you remember, 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter in Corinthians where it's dealing primarily with the reality of resurrection. Remember, the, the, the argument that Paul is making in that passage is if there is no resurrection, if Christ be not raised, then no one is raised, and we are still dead in our sins, and we're to be pitied among all people, basically. So the, the focus of this is on resurrection, this whole passage. When we get down to the latter part of it, verse 51, it says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We do not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So to say we do not all sleep says some of us are alive and some of us are dead. Okay. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, okay, so you got the trumpet here in 1 Corinthians 15, get the same trumpet sound, if you will, in 1 Thessalonians 4. Okay, so I got the same marker. 
For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, the dead will raise imperishable, and we will be changed. For perishable must be clothed with the imperishable, and mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will be true, death has been swallowed up in victory. So what's going to happen at this, at this, what's called the rapture of the church, is we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. If, we're st- if you're still alive, you're simply caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and you're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye into imperishable, eternal bodies. Bodies that are designed to live with the Lord forever. No more pain, no more sorrow. Yep. Somewhere in this three and a half year period, that rapture is going to occur. I'm not sure where. The last three and a half? The last three and a half, yes. Yeah. Okay, and the reason I say that is, you know, Paul warned or gave a sign to the Thessalonians saying, the day of the Lord has not come because the man of lawlessness has not been revealed. Okay. So until the man of lawlessness is revealed, that would say that, you know, if the church isn't here, that wouldn't make sense to even give that warning. So the church would be here when that occurs. Okay. So once that occurs, sometime after that is when the rapture will occur. Yes? So what were you pointing to knowing that he is revealed in the three and a half years of the man of The man of Lawless is going to set himself up in the temple of God. Before that, he's an incredible ruler who's bringing peace to the Middle East. And everybody's saying, thank you, thank you. Yeah. In the middle of that three and a half years, Satan is going to empower him, to, in, and he's going to change. He's going to set himself up to be God. He's going to set himself up in the temple of God. And he's then going to go about persecuting whoever he can get his hands on. Okay. The whole mark of the beast bit. Does that make sense? Okay, so somewhere... Once we reach that midpoint and he's revealed, sometime after that, the rapture is going to occur. And there's several, you know, rationales as far as where it is. We're just not going to worry about that. I think this is falling off. There we go. Okay? So you will, we will experience the last three and a half years. We will be protected from the wrath of God. We will not be protected from the wrath of the... Of the of Satan. And you may or may not die during that period. Okay. In Matthew 24, 30 and 31, uh, there's that whole passage talking about the end times. It says, they will see the sun, the, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heavens to the other. Okay. So this passage in Matthew 24, this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, and the passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, all involve the exact same thing. The removal of believers from the earth, both dead and alive.
And it is a resurrection, so basically you're not, it's not a spiritual, well, your spirit goes to heaven, your spirit is going to be united with a body that's now going to be with you forever. Very likely could be, yep. We would meet him in the air and then come right down with him. Because it says we come down uh, mounted on white horses. So that would put it at the very end, or it could be he could come and then, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense? You hear his question? He said, is that when Jesus comes down and steps on Mount Olives at the end of uh, three and a half years, is that when the rapture occurs? And I'm saying that could be the time. Okay, so at the end of three and a half years, turn to Revelation 19. Obviously, a lot of stuff is going to happen between this period and that period, all the, all the judgments of God will be poured out. We're not going to look at those at all. Revelation 19, beginning of verse 11 through I saw heaven standing open, and before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Okay. So first of all, who's the one on the white horse? Yep, that's Jesus. The word of God kind of lays that out. No one else is called that. Okay. So he's coming out of heaven on a white horse with armies of heaven also on white horses. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of God's, of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Okay. So Jesus is coming. Okay. Jump down to verse 19. I saw the beast and his kings, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had, who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake burning with sulfur. 
the rest were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So what we're looking at is a, it's a battle involving Jesus. And on the other side is the false prophet, the beast, and we're going to find also Satan and their armies. Jesus and his armies. If you notice, the only one doing battle is Jesus. It says they're He's basically making war with a sword that comes out of his mouth. So how's he making war? Simply speaking it. Yeah. Just like God, when he created the world, how did he create it? He spoke it into existence. So Jesus is going to do the same thing here. Okay. Turn to Zechariah 14. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah is the book just before that. Zechariah 14, verse 1 through 5. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it, the city. Who's, who's gathering them, first of all? So God is gathering them. You know, it says, The day of the Lord is coming when, when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem and fight against the city. Fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Okay. So Jesus is going to come down. He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. This army is going to be brought, which is Satan, the beast, false prophet, and his warriors. But it actually is being brought by God. Okay. If you look down, go down to verse 5, latter part of verse 5. And the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So if you compare Zechariah 14 to Revelation 19, we're again looking at the same event. A battle that's going to be fought at Jerusalem. In Joel, and we'll, I'll just read this to you. Joel verse 3 or chapter 3, sorry, 9 through 16. Um, it talks about this same thing. It says, a beast, uh, 
beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Um, Come quickly, all you nations, from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance to the valley of Jehoshaphat. So the Mount of Olives is over here to the east. Kidron Valley runs down between the Mount of Olives and the city of Jerusalem. The temple is about right there. This is also called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. So these warring armies are going to be brought into this valley and that's where they're going to be killed. Make sense? Any questions? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, after the battle, I mean, this is pretty decisive. The Lord just comes and does it, right? After the battle. Turn to Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verse 1. First of all, the, the beast and the false prophet, they were thrown into the lake of fire, right? So the beast is there. False prophet is there. Why was the lake of fire designed in the first place? What's its purpose? What's that? Punishment for who? Satan and his angels. That was the original purpose. Yep. So lake of fire was for the punishment of Satan and his angels. So back before all things were made, you might say God knew that this one called Satan, his, remember we looked at that last time, he was one of the premier cherubs on the holy mount, the protector of God's holiness. He knew that he would fall and with him, many of his angels would fall, and they would have a, have a place to go. So, lake of fire. All right, Revelation 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years had ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Okay, so what we have here is that the battle ends. False prophet, beasts go away. Satan is bound. How long? A thousand years. The end of that thousand years, what happens? He's released. Yep. Why would that happen? <laughs> That's what we're going to look at. Okay. But not um, 
Okay, so this period of time, and we'll stop here, this period of time, is the millennium. And we're going to find, if you read on in that verse of chapter 20, well, this is, this is real quick, just get this. Um, reading on in chapter 20, uh, I saw thrones, uh, beginning of verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, those are the guys probably under the altar, and because of the word of God, they had not worshipped the beast or his image, and they had received, not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, so this is the millennial reign, the, what's called, sometimes called the kingdom age. Um, it's a thousand years long. It involves Christ. It involves others who are ruling with him. And next time we'll look at who they're ruling and what it's all about.